I think my seat's going to break. It's cracking pretty bad over there. Some will say I've been eating too many Christmas cookies. and Yeah, okay. You haven't, right? All right. Well, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Matthew. We'll just start right there in chapter 1. We're not really going to read a specific uh, passage necessarily. Uh, we will, but uh, yeah, we will. Mark, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Let's just go there and We'll look at that to start with, and then we're just going to kind of go along. I want to share with you this morning, I guess um, 
kind of a, a little bit different than normal, but I want to share with you tonight some prophecies that provide proof of Christ's deity. That's what I want to do tonight. I want to share with you some prophecies that provide proof of Christ's deity. And again, I mean, we live in a generation, we live in a day where uh, the Lord is being questioned often. His word, of course, is being discounted. And we find ourselves in a position where as believers, we're often on one side and so many others on the other side. I'll tell you what, it's going to take a tremendous amount of conviction and a tremendous amount of devotion to stand for the Lord Jesus in these latter days. The fact is, is that this culture, the society in which we live is going the direct opposite of the direction and the, the, the way that the Bible describes and deems that you and I ought to go. We're going to forever be distanced from the world we live. And unfortunately today, it seems that we have kind of been lulled into this sense of feeling of, you know, take the path of least resistance. We don't want to cause a ruckus. We don't want to raise our voice too loud. We don't want to become the squeaky will. But may I say today that it seems to me that we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to take a stand. We're going to have to require ourselves to say enough is enough and I'm going to say what God says and I'm going to share what God says and I'm going to live what God says and be what God says I need to be. Now, we're embarking on another Christmas night and Again, tonight is Christmas Eve, and we're reminded from the Word of God that our faith is not blind. Contrary to the world, again, how can you believe something like that? How can you have faith in someone or something you've never seen? We have a Bible today, and the Word of God has continued throughout the centuries and uh, the, the, the millenniums. And as a result of that, the fact is that we have some prophecies, things that were foretold many, many years before they ever happened, and they were spot on, right on target. The Word says, your faith is blind. Well, what about your faith? What about the world's faith? I mean, don't they have to have faith too? I mean, they'll tell us that the world came about by something called evolution. May I ask you, who saw it happen? Well, obviously, that's blind faith, too. The question is, what is your faith in? Is it in a big bang or is it in the the God of all the universe? Is it in a God of intelligent design or is it simply in a God of man's making? Because that's all evolution is. We have prophecies in the Word of God that remind us always that the faith that we have is not blind faith, but a faith we can trust, a faith that is real, has substance. The events associated with the birth of Jesus Christ fulfilled a number of Old Testament prophecies that had been given, as I said already, centuries before they were ever, ever shared or before they ever came to pass. As we open up the New Testament, we find ourselves in Matthew today. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22, we read this. It says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying. Notice again verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Now Matthew would go on to use this type of phrasing in at least about a dozen passages in the book of Matthew. See, Matthew understood how important it was to point out to those of us who would read his book how many events 
were described specifically and, and prophetically. He wanted us to know that the things that you're reading now are just a result of something that was already predetermined, already put in motion many years before. And I want to put, he's saying, I want to make sure, I want to ensure that you are focused and that you understand that what you're reading and the events that are taking place right now were foretold hundreds of years in many cases prior to it actually taking place. And so Matthew shares these things with us throughout the Word of God. Throughout his book, at least, as God inspired him to write. And the first use of that fulfillment phrase mentioned above introduces us to one of the best known prophecies in the Bible. Look, if you would, just a verse below it, verse 23, right off the bat. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, there we have that passage now. And he's saying, now, listen, I want to draw your attention to something. This was all done that it might be fulfilled. It was a fulfillment of prophecy. And the fact was, is that God had already predetermined. God had already put into motion. God had already prophesied that there would be a virgin that would put forth a child. Take your Bible. Look over at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, written well over 700 years before Christ ever, ever showed up on the face of the earth. He had already predetermined, predicted, and prophesied that He would come. Again, God with us. So He could not possibly have an earthly father. He had to have a heavenly father. And as a result of that, He had already prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. Notice it says in Isaiah 7:14, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. You want to know when the Messiah has come? You want to be confident that it is not just a mere man that was born, but indeed the God of all heaven that has graced your presence? Then let me tell you, I'll give you the sign. He's going to be born of a virgin, he says. Notice he says, Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I want you to turn, again, we're already in, we were in Matthew, but look over in Matthew now. I want you to know that he did indeed send his son, and his son came by way of a virgin. Not just a young maid, a virgin. A woman who could not have been, nor ever had been, with a man. No question about it. Notice what it says in Matthew. We come up upon this passage and we are introduced to Joseph, who was a spouse to Mary. And notice it says here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example. Now, again, I don't have time to go into all of this espousal aspect. But may I say that an espousal was a binding contract. Although they had not consummated the marriage, they were as good as married at this point. That was how it worked in those days. Now, we go to an altar and we have a preacher and we say our vows and we say, I do, I do, and then you do. But let me tell you something. In those days, you were espoused. It was a binding contract. He was as much her husband as I am my wife's husband today. 
And yet he finds her now with a child. And the Bible says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He had all intentions of doing away with this relationship. They had entered into this contract, but based on the contract, he was permitted to remove himself from it or not to fulfill his end of it if she didn't fulfill her end of the contract. They had yet to consummate the marriage. They had yet to enter into that aspect of the marriage. So they were still, still, although bound, they were espoused. And so Joseph says, I'm not going to make her a public example. I love Mary too much. I don't want her to have to suffer any more than she's probably going to anyway, being a woman in that day, having child without husband. I'm just going to go ahead and put her away privily, privately. But notice what the Bible says here, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He goes on in verse 23, as we've already read. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, Joseph, I want you to realize that Isaiah wrote over 700 years ago that a virgin would have a child, and that child would be none other than Messiah, would be God with us, Emmanuel. And I'm telling you that Mary is the bearer of that child. He goes on, then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. And took unto him his wife, and knew her not, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. That means all those months that she carried the babe, they chose not to fulfill or to continue with, their, their, the, to fulfill the consummation of their marriage. They waited until after she had baby Jesus before they came together. No chance that this was a child or an offspring of any human being. It was all God. And we see the fulfillment of a prophecy over 700 years ago that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son, that God Himself would be the father of this child. And we see the fulfillment of it even there in Matthew again. Now again, this amazing event demonstrates once again God's infinite knowledge and power. I mean, God is so far beyond us I mean, he is capable of foretelling the future with perfect precision, mind you. I mean perfect precision. And he has the very power that's necessary to bring his prophecies to pass. Now listen, I would like to think that whatever I say happens. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite that powerful. I wish I could tell you today that by the end of 2018, I will be a millionaire. I got this bad feeling that won't come to pass. But if God said, I'll be a millionaire, I will be one. He has the power to make everything happen. He has the ability to make it all work out. And even if it means a virgin would need to conceive and bear a son, God is able. So after Christ's birth, the wise men arrive in Jerusalem, of course. They are searching for the king of the Jews. For they had seen his star in the east, and they came to worship him. Notice in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, please. Notice the passage says, And when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. What things? Well, just what we said. He had 
heard from the wise men. And the wise men came searching, seeking the king of the Jews. And they came to not only find him, they came to worship him. Boy, that's set real bad with Herod. This was a egotistical maniac for sure. This was a man who was so bent on being in power that he was willing, as we will find, to literally exterminate every boy child two years and younger. At least in the province where Jesus was born. Amazing, isn't it? So Herod, of course, responds. He gathers together his, his men, of course, and he says, hey, what's going on here? I need to understand they're looking for Messiah. What am I to understand about Messiah? Well, in Matthew 2, 6, it goes on. His, his men said, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people. Now, his own, his own advisors are saying, listen, there is a prophecy, and I want to quote the prophecy. I want to share it with you. Here's the fact. They came searching. You know why they're searching, Herod? Because at some point in our past... In our nation's history, in our nation's past, there was a prophecy that foretold the coming of Messiah. And literally, the coming of Messiah would be in Bethlehem. Look if you would in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Again, once again, this prophecy is written over 700 years before Jesus would be born by a prophet by the name of Micah. Excuse me, Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It'll probably take you about five minutes to find it. And if you don't find it in about 15 or 10 seconds, stop rustling pages and pretend you have. And nobody will know the difference. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Notice this prophecy that was written by this prophet. Micah 5 2. But thou Bethlehem Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. An amazing prophecy, is it not? Some have wondered, why in the world does he say Bethlehem Euphrata? Obviously, there had to, there, there's more to this than meets the eye. Obviously, he must have made a mistake because he was only born in Bethlehem, not Bethlehem Euphrata. No, by the way, Euphrata really designates this particular Bethlehem over another Bethlehem that also existed. See, there was a Bethlehem in the north, in Galilee. And it was completely different than the one that we now find ourselves here in this Bethlehem, Euphrata. God was so specific to say, I want to make sure that when the time comes, there is no question that I have foretold it, that I have prophesied it, that when Jesus Christ, God in flesh, is born, there'll be no doubt that it is the Bethlehem that I have already foretold. And he is indeed then Messiah. Amazing. Such a specific prophecy. I mean, to tell us already that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And this would be the sign to you. And then to say not only that, but this child would be born in Bethlehem. By the way, that is not where Joseph resided. That is where he went to be pay his taxes, by the way. Isn't it amazing that she... she the, the, the days were at hand that she should deliver when he arrives in Bethlehem. Just like the prophecy said. Just like the prophecy said. Oh, you Christians, you walk by blind faith. Really? Really? 
We're reminded in the Bible how Herod responds to the news. He responds in a fit of rage and jealousy. And he does so by slaughtering literally all the young boys in Bethlehem. And that would lead to the fulfillment of other prophecies as well. Take your Bible, look at Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. Do you know that God had already prophesied this massacre, or at least the response to it by moms and those that would lose children? Notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. Now as we, you make your way over there to Jeremiah, the passage itself historically has to do with mothers who were brokenhearted over the, the deportation of their sons to Babylon. Remember when Israel was taken into captivity or Judah was taken into captivity. Once again, the mothers were separated from their children and there's brokenness. There was brokenheartedness. You're going to find that with prophecies many times, it's twofold prophecy. One will refer to, to this event historically, but then also talk about a future event. And then this is the case again in this passage. Notice he says in Jeremiah 31:15, thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. May I say in Matthew chapter 2, we know why that was really in the book of Matthew we learn why because this Herod, this maniac menacing king and Uh, You know what? I can't even say the word. It's so crazy. But nonetheless, he was that off his rocker that this guy ends up murdering and killing every boy child under the uh, two years and younger. Can you imagine as a mother losing your child to some ruthless maniac like this? Oh, I'm telling you what, we see it prophesied and we see it come to fruition here in the life of Herod and in those in those days. Another prophecy that was fulfilled resulted when the angel warns Joseph to flee to Egypt. Remember now, the children are going to be massacred. So what does God do? He warns Joseph in a dream and says, by the way, Joseph, this king is out of his mind. You're going to remove the babe. You're going to protect your child. You're going to go to Egypt now until I let you go back until he's gone. Notice what it says here in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I'll just read it. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Now, we understand, again, as I mentioned, way back there, a long time ago, there was a situation when Israel was bound in Egypt and God supernaturally delivered them. We understand that. But we also see that this passage in Hosea points to a future event. It points to a day when Jesus himself would somehow come forth out of Egypt. Now, that is crazy. I don't know if you can understand this, but think about this. The very Messiah himself would come forth out of Egypt, even though Egypt was the very one that held Israel captive and in bondage. I think that's kind of amazing. In Matthew chapter 2, we see, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Isn't that wonderful? So what do these prophecies tell us about Jesus? Well, to summarize, 
In just the first couple of chapters of Matthew, we see that God foretold the miraculous conception of, and the virgin birth of the Messiah. We see that right there. It was already foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem and that in some way, somehow, he's going to end up coming out of Egypt. Those are all prophecies that point to Jesus Christ. Long before he ever became or ever was on this earth, it had been foretold, prophesied that he would come. Blind faith. Really? Really? If we look at the book of Matthew and we consider chapter 1, we see there's a genealogy there. The genealogy of the Savior, really, in the long run, it points to him and it shows all of the descendants in his life. Those that ultimately bore who and then bore them and then bore them and then bore them and ultimately ends up with Jesus. It's amazing, really, how we see this genealogy put on paper and shared with each of us. In that particular genealogy, we learned some things. We learned, ultimately, that he would be from Abraham. And we know in chapter 12, verse 3, that there was a prophecy early on in the life of Abraham that really promised to bring great joy to all the earth. Look, if you would, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 We note this particular passage, and it goes like this. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now again, it is very difficult at that point and at that one verse to see the picture. But may I say that the world would ultimately be blessed through and by Adam, or by Abraham. How? Through his offspring. Because Jesus would come forth out of the offspring of Abraham. And in throughout the book of Matthew chapter 1, we see how that worked. That Abraham, that Isaac, then Jacob, then boom, 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 right down the line. Until ultimately it leaves us right with Jesus Christ. It's amazing, really. It ultimately ends. We see even David is in that lineage as well. And in that line. Look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Speaking of David. Look how, again, God ties it together. Long before these, these men were ever listed as being part of this prophecy, we see that their names, they'd been told, you will have or be part of this prophecy. And so, way back there in the book of, of Genesis, we see them being listed and told that there's going to come forth this tremendous blessing out of your loins, that you're going to be, bring forth, in a sense, Messiah, and we see it fulfilled here in Matthew as we go through history. Notice what it says here in Isaiah 9, 6. In Isaiah 9, 6 again, 700 years earlier, before the birth of Christ, a number of years after uh, Abraham even, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There in Matthew chapter 1, right off the bat, he goes on to say, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I mean, we can trace Jesus' roots, if you will, all the way through the Old Testament. 
And long before we ever, he ever arrives on the scene, it was told, guess what? There's going to be some people in your genealogy. You could go back to Genesis 26. You would find Isaac being told. You would see Jacob being reminded in 28. You'd see Judah being reminded in 49. You'd see Jesse being reminded in Isaiah chapter 11. That you are all going to be a part of this tremendous blessing to all the earth. It's amazing. Simply amazing. But that's not all. If you search through the rest of Scripture, you're going to find a number of, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of other details prophesied about the Messiah. Let me give you just a couple very quickly, and we're not going to turn to these, because this is not the message. (laughs) And we only have two and a half minutes. I'm teasing. We We have more than that. But anyway, notice what it says. In Zechariah 9, 9, we're told that he will enter Jerusalem on a donkey or a colt. Do you know it's fulfilled in Matthew chapter 21? Remember all the palms being laid at his feet? We see in Psalm chapter 41 verse 9 that he would be betrayed by a friend. Oh, we know who that was, don't we? It happened just like God said. And it's revealed to us in John 13, 18. Zechariah chapter 11 verse 12. The be- that we see the betrayal would be for 30 pieces of silver. That's pretty specific prophecy, isn't it? It's pretty blind faith. Can you imagine that? All those years prior to Jesus Christ coming, first of all, he had to be born of a virgin. I mean, that already, I mean, that kind of eliminates a lot of, you know, question. I wonder if this is who he's, yeah. Nostradamus has nothing on this. Nostradamus don't even have a clue what telling the future is compared to Jesus. By the way, you shouldn't even be reading junk about Nostradamus or anybody else that's supposed to be a foreteller of truth. Man, you ought to get in the Word of God and see the prophecies of God. That's proven right there. That's tested stuff. You know what happened to a prophet that went ahead and gave a false prophecy or foretold some news and it didn't come to pass as it was stated? He died. Nostradamus would have died over and over again if he was actually living under this rule. Because his did not come true. Notice in Zechariah eleven thirteen it says the money would be used to purchase the potter's field. We see that in Matthew chapter 27. Over in Daniel 9, 26 and Isaiah 53, 8, the Messiah would die a sacrificial death for us. Again, fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27, 50. Also in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. We see in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, that he would die with criminals, but he'd be buried with the wealthy. Isn't that amazing? He, he, he was put in a borrowed tomb of a very wealthy man. It's amazing. Again, the detail of prophecy just totally should blow us away that prophecies will certainly provide proof of Christ's deity if we'll let them. If we'll just see them for what they are. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to this earth, he was prophesied. And not only that, all these details that we see and so many more. Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, Isaiah 53, 10. He would rise from the dead. We know that he told his disciples the same thing. We see it fulfilled in Matthew 28, 6. We note over in the book of Psalm, chapter 22, verses 1, 8, and 18, he would say certain words on the cross, but he would be mocked, and people would gamble for his clothes. Look, if you would, over there in Psalm chapter 22 real quick as we kind of close out this prophecy section, and then we start talking about another prophecy that God had spoken of. Notice in Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Psalm, kind of toward the middle of your Bible, 
Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Notice what it says here. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And does that sound familiar to anybody? Of course it does. Why? Because early on in chapter 22 of of the book of Psalm, words literally, specific statements were stated that Jesus Christ would one day say. Amazing. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You say, well, David said that. I know. That's even more amazing to me. I, I mean, honestly, he said those words. I understand that. But they were fulfilling a prophecy. If you read through the rest of the chapter, notice what else it goes on to say in verse 8. It says, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. Do you remember that? What, what in the world goes on there? You think about those thieves, don't you? How's, do you think this is all coincidence? This is all chance? No, no way. Verse 18, notice what it says. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now, I don't know about David, and I don't know about the psalmist here. I'm not sure if they actually cast lots for his garments. I don't really know. Matter of fact, I find it kind of hard to believe that that's what they did for him in a sense. But I know one thing for sure, that on Calvary, we see those soldiers doing that. Again, we have prophecies that were written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Christ's birth. Death and resurrection pointing to and guaranteeing it would happen the way it did. Blind faith. Blind faith, huh? No, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of of the persuasion that prophecies provide us proof of Christ's deity today. Let me share something else, though. We could list numerous prophecies. We could list... Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. They weren't lucky guesses, but instead they were precise predictions made by the all-knowing God of the Bible. Two thousand years ago, Jesus came to earth in a very miraculous fashion, born of a virgin. And born in Bethlehem. Fleeing the inevitable wrath of Herod. The maniacal, maniac ruler of that day. He would take refuge in Egypt. Whereupon the death of Herod, he'd come forth out of Egypt. We know that the Messiah would be born from the line of Abraham. Followed through with Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and so many more. Right on through, even to David himself. His life, his ministry, his triumphal entry, the betrayal, the mock trial, the crucifixion, the death, and even his resurrection were all flawlessly prophesied and fulfilled. Therefore, I contend that we can completely and confidently Trust Him today with whatever He says. That He will always make good on His promises and that our, those future events that He foretells will certainly come to pass without question. Therefore, I want you to note some of the words of the Lord. Look in John chapter 14, would you please? 
every prophecy, prophecy flawlessly fulfilled, exactly as stated, Notice what he says also, though. Because remember, the very God who inspired the authors of the Bible, and when I say authors, I'm talking about those he used to pen it. He is indeed the author, but he used human instruments. This very God, remember, was with us on earth. Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in John 14 to a group of disciples that are dismayed and discouraged. He says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know, you don't look at that, nor do I many times, as a prophecy. But they are equally the words of God. They are equally as authoritative as any other verse or any other scripture in the Bible. The fact is today is that the God of heaven has promised, has predicted, has prophesied His return. He goes on to promise that there will be a house there with many mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. He says, if it wasn't the way, if it wasn't the case, I'd let you know that. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Look if you would in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. Then he turns to the Apostle Paul and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, again, provides us with a prophecy. Again, we don't see it as a prophecy. We look at it as a writing. We look at it as instruction. We look at it as hope. And it is hope. But it is a prophecy. It is a foretelling of the future. It is a, a, a preview of what will and indeed happen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Well, 12. That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. That ye may have lack of nothing. Notice it goes on to say, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That word prevent just means go before them. Those that are in the grave will certainly be taken out before we are lifted out. It'll happen so quickly. You won't have to worry about it. Oh, well, once it's my turn. No waiting in line that day. It will go quick, but they will go before. Notice it goes on to say, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me tell you, that is as much a prophecy as Isaiah. That's as much a prophecy as Malachi. That's as much a prophecy as Micah. That's as much prophecy as you'll see anywhere else in the Bible. It's just equally prophecy. He's foretelling. He's prophesying. He's telling us something's going to happen. And may I say, when God says it's going to, it does. 
I love that part there. For he himself, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I don't know if, you know, hey, I don't know. Wake up! <laughs> I don't know. Just, Come hither! He told John, right? In the book of Revelation. And then it talks here, I love this part too, with the voice of the archangel. Now, I can't mimic that. And with the trump of God. I don't know, but anyway. I mean, can you think of I mean, think about it. It's going to happen. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. You know, he's speaking here to those in the church, by the way. And by the way, to become part of the church, literally the church now, the body of Christ, you have to be, you have to be a part of it. In order to be a part of the body of Christ, you have to have recognized and understood your sin. The Bible says, for all sin and come short of the glory of God. So we know that we're sinners and we understand we don't measure up to God's perfect standard. We know that He is holy and we are so, so sinful and so, so, Wicked and so wretched in his eyes. And may I say, I know God loves us. But may I say, he also sees us the way we are. Sinners in need of a Savior. And that is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Because God in his infinite mercy allowed his son to come to earth. And there be born in a manger or a stable and then placed in a manger. And he grew up to be a man, a perfect sinless man. God man. And He took your place on Calvary. He took my place on Calvary. I deserve to die. And so did you that day. But Jesus Christ stood in my stead. He took my place. He bore my shame. And He bore my sin. And He bore my pain. So that I could escape the penalty of sin. Look if you would in John chapter 6 verse 37. I think that's the wrong verse, but I'm going to look anyway. 637. No, I think that's right now that I think about it. Yep, there it is. Boy, I love this. He says over here, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Man, I love those verses. Man, I tell you what, there was a day in my life that I was just a sinner and I did not deserve the favor of God. I didn't deserve anything. The truth is, I still don't really deserve it. But it's all His grace and it's all His mercy. And God, the God of heaven, allowed Jesus to die in my place and He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him and he with me. He says, but as many as received unto them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He said, neither is there salvation any other, but there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We need to call on him. We need to receive him. We need to accept him. We have to personally choose Jesus Christ. And let me say something today, just by way of clarification. It is not just a matter of choosing heaven. May I say to you today, there is no heaven without Jesus Christ. He is the, the reason for the season even as we speak. It's not enough to say, I want to escape hell. I want Jesus Christ in my life. I'm telling you, we're missing the boat. Because He is the lifeblood of everything. The byproduct of Jesus Christ in a relationship with Him is heaven. Heaven is not 
the end game. Jesus is. Jesus is. And we need to understand that it is He who died for us. He's the one that paid for our sin. He's the one that left glory and came to this wretched, sinful earth and allowed the very ones He created to abuse Him so that you and I could be saved from our sin. You're not going to like this maybe, but I'm going to say it. God forbid, and God help us, if we close our eyes in death and look forward to seeing anybody else more than Jesus. God help us. What happened to Jesus in our Christianity today? Where's he at? Does he only belong at the end of a prayer list? In Jesus' name. May I say to you today that Jesus, we ought to take Him with us everywhere we go. Every day and every moment we awake, every time we wake up in the middle of the night, Jesus ought to be on our lips and the Father ought to be as real as ever to us. We need to understand a relationship's what we need. And today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I don't care how loved you are and you are loved by Him, it won't be enough to get you to heaven. You have to come to Jesus the way God says and that is by faith. But as many as received him, then gave you power to become the sons of God. You've got to get in the family if you want to live in the house. You've got to get in the family if you want to live in the house. You get in the family by receiving Christ. You, I, listen, I'm not going to get in debate with you whether it's works and all that junk. You're, you're, you're out of your mind if you think somehow that we can do it ourselves. We can't. We, it's all him. I get it. Go ahead and twist words. Do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you something. Go ahead and lead Jesus out of your salvation. See how it turns out in the end. You say any prayer you want, but you're going to die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. You begin a relationship with the Lord, and I promise you, you'll have a home in heaven. But it's a result of that relationship. It's becoming part of the family of God. I wonder today... Have you trusted Jesus Christ? Because here's the bottom line. As much as His return is prophesied, so is the end. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, as we close this. I want you to see that this is as much a prophecy. This is as much being foretold as any good thing you read in the Bible. God always keeps His Word, good, bad, or indifferent. It is just the way it is. God never lies. And as much as He loves us, He will not bend His Word. He won't break His Word for you or I. Sadly enough, today in our homes and across our country, it seems that mom and dads tell a child, no, you do that again, you're going to... Nope, you do that again, you're going to... No, you do that again, you're going to... Don't do that again! Don't do it again! Don't do it again! Don't do it again! That's how most homes go today. Can I tell you, when Jesus says, don't do it again, He means it. He keeps His Word. He follows through with what He says. Notice what He says, sadly enough, here. And again, I I don't really like to read it, but here's what it says in Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. Chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. 
There was found no place for them 2,000 years ago. John on the Isle of Patmos, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words that are prophecy. It's going to happen just like he wrote it. And I saw the dead, verse 12, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Do you know that because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I'll never be judged according to my works? (laughs) I don't have to worry about that one. My works, in regard to this book, are under the blood of Jesus Christ. I washed away, and they're gone as far as the east is from the west. They're buried in the depths of the sea. But if you've never received Christ, you've never acknowledged your sin before a holy God and cried out for mercy, it's, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, save me. Oh God, come into my life. I need you. My friend, you will be judged on your works at this judgment prophesied in Revelation 20. And whosoever, verse 15, was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Nothing wonderful about that at all to me. I take no pleasure in reading it. But it is as real as the virgin birth. It's as real as a Savior who would come out of Egypt. It's as much prophecy as any other you could read in the Scriptures. And may I say today that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought you to a place like this today. Whether you understand this or not, it is all providence. It is all by God's design. You are here with a purpose and with a plan. And that purpose is to bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that plan is to see your soul saved so that you can do that. Because there is not a person on earth that is not in the family of God that can truly bring glory and honor to God. Because it is only the will of God that, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is only those who have done that and obey Him that bring Him honor. You can't bring God honor when you're in rebellion. You can't lift up Jesus Christ when you're in in denial of His reality. You can't dismiss His Word and somehow think that you can please Him. It all begins with a relationship. Acknowledging His authority, His right in your life. He is the Savior. You are the sinner. You invite Him in your life and you trust Him. Because this will all come to pass. Jesus said that for the believer today, hey, don't get discouraged. I'm coming back for you. But also, for everyone else, there's a judgment day coming. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, Philippians 2.9. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in things in earth and things in earth, excuse me, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't care what your name is. I don't care how much education you've got. I don't care if you call yourself a scientist and you have proven evolution to be true in your own mind. You will bow the knee. 
Because he says you will. Your creator is no liar. Whether you believe that he exists or not, doesn't matter. He does. And I want to encourage you today to do the right thing and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, the prophecies that we have in the scriptures provide us proof of Christ's deity. And because Jesus Christ is God, as he said he would be, may I say he's also creator, according to Colossians chapter 1. And that creator today longs to have a relationship with you and with me. He loves you with all his heart. And he came and died in your place to pay for your sin. Won't you simply humble your heart, bow your head, and invite him into your life today? Because His Word will be fulfilled. His Word is true. Father, we come to You. 